We're back to Romans, our Romans series, after a moment away last Sunday to give some gospel consideration of fatherhood, last Sunday being Father's Day. I don't, I don't normally uh, go topical on uh, Mother's and Father's Days, but this Father's Day felt uh, appropriate to do so. But back to Romans 13 now, as Lisa read our text, this chapter in which we're essentially told that we shouldn't have to be told to submit to governing authorities, that our being under the authority of Jesus does not make us ungovernable. Uh, alliance to a greater kingdom, allegiance to the Lord of the greater kingdom does not mean the church claims for itself uh, any kind of diplomatic immunity as it were. We don't give the state any problems in its task, its God-appointed task of keeping order, regardless of who is or, or isn't in office. We talked about this earlier this month in a sermon called The Church and the State. We're taking June to look at Romans 13. Because our lives, our, our loves are ordered by the greater authority of Jesus, our love for him leads us then to do no wrong to a neighbor. Those words are in verse 10, where we were two Sundays ago, and that sermon was called The Church in the State. I'm going to got something in my eye momentarily, a uh, lapse here of the eye doing its work. There, it just did the work, got it out. Um, so we've had the church and the state. We've had the church in the state. We talked uh, then about how governing authorities are also our neighbors and we're to live as peaceably in the state as we can. So today now in verses 11 through 14, we consider the church not of the state. So you see the progression, the church and the state, the church in the state, and now the church which is in the state, but not of the state. What do we mean by that? Well, it's, it's not just in not claiming uh, any kind of diplomatic immunity, as I said a moment ago, nor do we sanctify the state. That's a dangerous thing for Christians to try to do. But the church is in, not of the state, also in the state allows uh, a certain amount of sin to go unchecked. And in that, we can find justification for our own sin. I mean, how many times have you heard or, or yourself have used the justification, well, there's no law against it, you know. There's no law against the third piece of cake, you know, our gluttony. Uh, there's no law against, uh, you know, making this kind of uh, exorbitant interest on something. You know, the government allows it and, and your greed goes unchecked, etc., and so on. And we're going to focus on this in verses 11 through 14 today, that the state doesn't particularly care if you're morally upstanding so long as the state is not having to enforce its laws on you. Now, to take the end of the section and move up, so looking at verse 14, we're told in verse 14 to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We've talked about the flesh earlier in other series in Romans. I won't go back to that, but desires is it's an umbrella word. It's, it's uh, bringing together... Uh, the experience of how our fall into sin has disordered our loves. It's disordered our desires. It's disordered our passions. It's disordered our sense of self and, and others. And so moving back up the passage from verse 14 to what's in verse 13, 
Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. He gives you a sin list. Orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. We're not to do this even though the state permits all of this. We're putting this in the context of looking at governing authorities. And governing authorities permit this stuff in verse 13. Oh, yes, I know there are limits and codes and statutes and all, but you can get drunk in your house on a Friday night. You can have an affair. You, you, you can go on social media and be very quarrelsome. And, and the state is, is not going to tell you that you cannot do that. And that's not like the state says we don't care what you do. This is the uh, wedding season, and so as I take couples through premarital counseling, they're always glad to hear that the state of Tennessee gives a significant discount for the marriage license fee if you can show a, a, a notarized affidavit that we, we give them at the end that you've had four plus hours, at least four hours of premarital counseling, the state knocks $60 off the fee. It goes from 90 to 30. Now, why does the state do that? Because of how expensive divorce is. The state realized years ago that they would try to incentivize some kind of, of preparation for couples moving into marriage because there's a burden on the state the more broken homes the state has to manage. But then with the other side of its mouth, the state allows and even promotes now in some cases a range of sexual immorality. All this in verse 13, the state permits. Yes, again, I say there are limits imposed, but overall, the state doesn't prohibit and even protects a certain amount of that which is bad for us, that which does not contribute to human flourishing, but diminishes it, evil being the corruption of something good. And if you plug that into verse 13 here, we've got drunkenness, by and large, the corruption of self-discipline. Sexual immorality in verse 13, the corruption of the context that God puts around sex, if not sex itself. Even quarreling is, is the corruption of conviction. Uh, evil is a parasite. It, it, it is what it is because it, it latches onto something good and extracts from it uh, that which it will then use for its own purposes, which are quite fallen. But the state allows all this up to points, what's in verse 13. The state may or may not put parameters around certain expressions of fallen humanness, even though the state is there to protect and to promote order. That's, that's its central role as God's servant. We've looked at that already in chapter 13 here. And while we're on this, just thinking this out, you know uh, from just knowing history, the state has varying degrees uh, of success and failure and trying to enforce parameters. Uh, we're almost uh, up uh, next year, it'll be a, 100 years since prohibition began. How did that work out for the state? Obscenity laws, kind of the same thing. In other words, the state is not good at being thought police. The state is not good at trying to change the heart of its, of its uh, citizenry and trying to be the moral conscience uh, for us, even though the state can and does legislate morality. Absolutely, the state does. Every law has a moral basis for it. It may not be good morality, but it, it, it is nevertheless. Paul lived in the days of the Roman Empire. So the context into which Paul is writing these words. Now, government under Rome had not gotten as bad as it would get, 
But uh, in fact, when Paul's writing, Paul's going to be killed by the Roman authorities. But Rome was pretty lenient, all things considered. They were quite tolerant of fallen human nature gratifying disordered desires, passions, and other promotions of self at the expense or, or neglect of others. And if it feels more Roman around us now, you know, Mark Twain is the one who had the idea that history doesn't always repeat, but it rhymes. And if it feels more Roman uh, to us now living in this particular country, it, modern American society does rhyme with ancient Rome more than it ever has, it seems, particularly in how it treats the most vulnerable. And yet, it, it would be the easiest kind of preaching for me to stand here this morning and lead a collective head-shaking over how bad things get out there in our shared world. I, I noticed that Jesus and the apostles didn't preach that way. The opposite of head-shaking is not a shoulder shrug, like, you know, what does it matter? No, they, they warned people that sin has eternal consequences, but they also warned the church. So much of the New Testament is a warning uh, is warnings to the church about not being lulled to sleep. We have that here in our passage. Don't be lulled to sleep on what kind of world this is in its rebellion. Government is called God's servant. We saw that earlier in this chapter. But government is a servant that doesn't always serve the church. Higher allegiance to Jesus means, we talked about this uh, the first Sunday of June, in the church and the state sermon, we talked about how higher allegiance to Jesus means if the government asks us to do something we cannot do and still be faithful to Jesus, then we can't do it, and we have to accept the consequences for that. But also, higher allegiance to Jesus means we part with government when it authorizes what we cannot do. We really can't take to ourselves the idea and just run with it freely. Well, there's no law against that. Let's organize verses 11 through 14 here around the two put-on imperatives. You notice you've got, you've got two of these. You get put on the armor of light into verse 12 and then put on the Lord Jesus Christ, first part of verse 14. Let's, let's take what's here and, and plug them in under these two imperatives as headings. Put on the armor of light put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the church being in, not of the state. And the reason why not is because the church does something no one else around us does. Only Christians put on the armor of light. Only Christians put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, putting on the armor of light. Think about that imagery in this particular context. What is the imagery getting at? Well, armor is usually government issue, right? Armor is for protection from enemy fire. Our defenders wear armor. In its protective role, the state issues armor to, to those who are involved in enforcing the law. But armor of light, light in this and other biblical contexts is about the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus in the world. Light is about how we see our way through in the world. Psalm 119, 165, you know it. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light 
to my path. But notice, notice in our passage, looking at verses 11 through 14, the Lord still has to tell us to wake from sleep in verse 11. The Lord has to still tell us to cast off works of darkness. Verse 12, armor is not sleepwear, and it's not for hanging out. You wear armor to go out and meet an enemy and survive his fire. Armor of light, put this on, we're told. Why? It's a way of seeing. I like how Richard Mao, in his most recent book, talks about world viewing. You know, we get a lot of worldview training as evangelicals, and, and that's good, but, but a worldview is not this static thing. You know, once, you've, once you have it, you've got it. The world is moving, and we're moving in it uh, as, as well, and we're holding to truth, but the path we walk making our way through the world is one in which many new things suddenly come into view and require the illumination of God's eternal word. But in this context, utilizing this imagery, sleep, let's say verse 11, you know the time, the hours come for you to wake from sleep. What, what is he getting at in this context? Sleep is a way of avoiding, in this context, it's a way of avoiding what we see before us. It's a way of avoiding what the light exposes, closing our eyes to it. Think about this with me. I'm going to give you a list of things that uh, a little over two decades ago, when I started in my ministry career, were on nobody's radar. And now we're all dealing with it. It wasn't these things didn't exist. Maybe one or two of them didn't exist. Or they were in their infancy and only known by a select amount of people. But nevertheless, think about this. In the last two decades, what has now come suddenly, as it seems, into view on our path and requires the illumination of God's Word. Sexual identities, uh, the, the whole regard now for, for the whole LGBTQ uh, construct. In fact, if you're, if you're in your 50s, as I have just joined you, those of you in the, in the 50s club, then that means you, in all likelihood, if you have children, they're in their <clears throat> early 20s, late teens. It is uh, entirely likely <clears throat> that your kids... Uh, they may not have a different sexual ethic from you, but, but their sexual ethic is probably more permissive than yours, even if they were raised in church. Uh, social media, two decades ago, where was that? You know, what, can you remember your life before social media? Wasn't it better? I mean, come on. Online shopping. Uh, pastors intersect with people in their work, in their careers, those of you who are in retail, those of you who are in sales. Uh, online shopping uh, changed very much the way you do your work, the way competition works. Gaming. You got little kids? Gaming. They all are playing. If, 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 you're, if you're the one saying your kid can't play, they're getting picked on at school for not being able to play. Think about that. Uh, video streaming, drones, clones. 
virtual reality, the whole AI experience, which is really the next frontier, artificial intelligence, is where a lot of this is, uh, is going. Over the last two decades, all of these things have come into view on the path we're on following Jesus in and through this world. It's, it's not the same world it was just two decades ago. Just in the span of, of, my, of my career taking this into account, exponential changes. And what happens when you try to absorb so much cultural change, as it seems to be so much cultural change, it, is, it, it gets dizzying, the speed of it, the scope of it. And what do you do when you get dizzy? You want to lie down. What happens when you lie down? You might want to go to sleep. You might go to sleep. What do you do when you don't want to face something? One thing you can do is go to sleep. Sleep as a way of avoiding what comes into view before us. The light-dark contrast Paul's working with here, very familiar throughout Scripture. And probably the most dominant metaphor for contrasting the way of God and, and the way of the world is the light-dark contrast. It's all over the place in Scripture. So, so this is not new to us to see this contrast here in this passage but anything, it talks about works of darkness, uh, verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Works of darkness, anything and everything that sets itself in opposition to the light, which is the way and the truth and the life of Jesus in the world, all of anything that and everything that sets itself in opposition to that is a work of darkness. And, and these works of darkness, they intersect with our path. They come into view, and it's not out of nowhere. It's out of somewhere, but they come into view. And works of darkness can be blatant. They can be obvious, direct, even government-funded. They can be subtle and almost imperceptible. They can be dizzying. But what's the passage saying to us? Don't lie down. Don't lie down. Put on the armor of light. To put this on is to take courage. And not a courage that you have to muster up on your own. It's, it's the courage that comes from, from getting a, a, a really solid view of who Jesus is as one who is triumphant over all. You take courage. You don't retreat into the sleep of, I don't want to know about that. I don't want to know that goes on. It's, I mean, we've had times through the years here where we've, we've, brought, we've brought folks like Steve, like your God at work moment this morning. And we've, had, we've actually had people say, well, I wish you wouldn't talk about that on a Sunday morning. You've got to be kidding. I mean, it just happens. I realize we're a diverse uh, people group, but wow, really? The church doesn't have an interest in this? Light, the light of Jesus Christ doesn't, doesn't shine into the, these kind of dark places? His servants don't go there? I mean, is there really anything that we don't need to know about at church? And don't we already know? But it comes out of this idea that, well, this ought to be some, we, we want some kind of experience. We want some kind of vineyard vines experience on Sunday morning. You know, I mean, we really do. I mean, if you work for vineyard vines, great. I like your stuff. It's a little high. I wait until it goes on sale. I don't want to pay $89 for a shirt. 
49. Maybe. To put on the armor light is to look clear-eyed at what comes into view on our path so that then we look to Jesus. We look to the Word of God. We look at this thing and we say, boy, I, I don't know about this. I'm not, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I think this is wrong. I think this is mistaken. I think this is off the path. But what do I do? How do I handle this? We look to the Word of God for direction, for wisdom, for illuminating the way before us because a lot of things you're going to have to walk through. You, you can't walk around or over under. You're going to have to walk through. And as we do, we, we, we think about what does faithfulness look like in this experience? Even if I'm not the one having it, it's just there in front of me. I've, I've got to deal with it. The armor of light on us looks like courage. It looks like sharpened discernment. Not so sharp that we go poking everyone around us with their perceived faults and errors. The worst kind of jerk is a religious jerk. But to wear the armor of light is to find that the truth is more important to us, not less. And what comes with sharpened discernment is deeper confidence in who God is and what he's revealed in and through his son. We want more of him. Which takes us now to our second put on statement there in verse 14. The first one is there in verse 12, put on the armor of light. The second one there in verse 14, right at the beginning, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Which, which government may in this context? Government may bless disordered desires. It may fund them. Government may make provision for us to, to, to pitch in with them. Government may even incentivize, but even so, even if government makes provision for us to sin, it rewards our greed, etc., and so on, even if government makes it easier to sin in all kinds of ways and feel okay about it, still, we are to, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. This is our defense. Armor is also defense, armor of light, but it's defense whereby you advance. And here is the defense whereby we're never alone. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ is to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again. Do you notice the line in the Midway Service song, when I stand accused by my regrets and the devil roars his empty threats, I will preach the gospel to myself that I'm not a man condemned, for Jesus Christ is my defense. We, we couldn't have scripted that better to fit with this, with this verse. That's how we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel to ourselves. What is my life about now if I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus just so that I can feel good at church, that I, I fit in there, but the rest of my life is my terms? Do I, do I want to know him? And all that comes with that, even the fellowship of shared sufferings part, I don't want that, but if that comes, I know that I get more of him when it does. There are two great no's in the New Testament, N-O, uh, two great no's in Romans. No condemnation, remember Romans 8.1? 
And now here in Romans 13, 14 is the other one. No provision. Remember Romans 8, 1? You can turn back to it just for a moment if you want to see it again. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What are we being told in Romans 8? What has happened to us, what has resulted when we believed. And now we're told here in Romans 13, 14, the rejoinder, what results ongoing from us. Romans 8, 1 is telling us what has happened for us. Romans 13, 14, now what happens from us, from what has resulted for us in Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There are two great no's, N-O, in the New Testament here in Romans. And we keep both together. No condemnation, no provision. At times uh, in the course of a year, I'll talk to people, they'll, they'll confess some sin, and I always try to keep the two together. First, we talk about no condemnation. This sin does not separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus for you. But you got to make no provision for it. You got to get honest. You got to do some things differently. If this thing has, has brought you in to, to talk to me about it, then, then, then something's got to change. And, and the Holy Spirit of God wants to work with you and is working with you. And you're coming and talking to me as part of this. But we, we talk about the gospel and how the gospel deals with our guilt and our shame. And then we talk about, well, what are we going to do moving forward? How are we going to try to make this not so much of a problem? How are we going to, what, what does progress look like 12 months from now? Not, the, not this immediate success. I'll come and talk to the pastor. He'll give me some wisdom and boom, this won't be a problem anymore. No way. Let's talk steps, not strides. Everybody loves to make strides, but a lot of times you just make steps. Steps are good. And what do you do when you fall again? How do you get back up and keep going and not let the shame hold you to the mat? Two great no's of the New Testament. We keep both together. No condemnation on us, though our flesh, that is our bent towards sin, our human propensity to mess things up by our unrighteousness or self-righteousness or both, it's, such the, it's, it's the most obvious thing about us in so many ways, but there is, because of Christ, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And simultaneously, those in Christ Jesus make no provision. No provision to engage in what was once to our condemnation. Why go back there? In sin, we are always seeking something that we should go find in our Savior, and we go find it in sin. No condemnation is about what Jesus did for us. No provision is about our response to him. Jesus is central to both. It's not like we need Jesus to take care of the condemnation part and then we go out and figure the obedience part out for ourselves. It's not parts. He did his part, now I do mine. It's the response we make. Romans 13 verse 14 is the response we make over the course of our lives to what Jesus did for us and is doing in us and through us as we go. Lord, help me to see this sin as you see it. Even if it's comforting to me, 
even if it's stress relieving to me, even if it gives me something, even if it, 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 it takes a, 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 my status up a few, help me to see it as you see it. It's an ongoing prayer. Now, a caveat, most every fail-proof strategy I've ever come up with, I've ever come up with for keeping myself from sin fails at some point. It just does. I'm not smarter than those whose sins make headlines. Most of the fences that I've built to keep temptation out are chain link. It's not very effective perimeter for an enemy that likes to shapeshift, burrow, scale, leap over. Because what did God tell Cain way back in Genesis 4? Sin desires to have you. But here's the good news. So does the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is greater than any and all our sin. He paid for our sin generously. And to put him on, as, as the language suggests in this text, is about preaching the gospel to ourselves. And as we do this, <clears throat> we get honest. We get honest with, with ourselves about how drawn to sin we are. We get honest with each other about this. And the community becomes a place where I don't have to hide anymore. I can say, you know what, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. I, I'm trying to... To, to curb my access, but the appeal is still there, whatever it is. We don't even know half of our sinfulness at any, in any waking, waking moment. We move toward the Savior when we see our sin, not away from him. I, for years, I didn't understand this, and when I would see my sin, I would think, well, what does the Lord really have to do with me? Why am, I, why am I doing this? Why am I hanging around church people? Why am I going to camps and making my living? From, and, and, I, and I started to realize when you see your sin, you move toward him. Toward him. And guess what happens as you do? You start to want the light. You start to seek the light. You start to call baloney on yourself when you uh, justify uh, the darkness or giving yourself permissions and, and little outings and, and such as that. It, and, and there's sins of all kinds here. You're probably thinking about it in a particular lane, but it, and it might be the lane that's most problematic for you, but, but it's lanes. It's all kinds of things. Again, we don't know the half of our sinfulness. The, our best day, that, that moment on your best day where you think, I've, I, you know, maybe you don't have the conscious thought, but... You are kind of thinking, you know, I, I got this. That itself is sinful. It's hard to escape, which is why we need the Lord Jesus Christ, why we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the covering of our sin. And so this image of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is you've already got a covering for your sin. Why would I go looking in, in sin for what I get from my Savior? What satisfaction can I find in sin that's deeper than that? What fulfillment, what status or scorekeeping or, or any and all of it. And we've become honest also about the effort it takes to respond to him well and resiliently as we put the Lord Jesus Christ on, his covering. See, grace is only opposed to earning, not to effort. 
Make no provision for the flesh. This requires an honest effort at curbing access to whatever it is that tempts me or deceives me. If you're going to be successful fighting a good fight against what tempts you, what deceives you, whatever it is that puffs us up, makes us think more highly of ourselves than we should, and we start going deaf to the call of Christ, deaf to the gospel. If we're going to be successful at fighting a good fight against what tempts or deceives us, it's, it, it's going to be usually a combination of things. We're going, to, we're going to have to get open to admitting that we struggle. Got to tell somebody. And, and that discussion and accountability with trusted others. And then we've got, to, we've got to curb our access. I mean, make no provision. It's not complicated. We have to curb our access. That can be hard for adults because we, we like to have this image of ourselves that, that nothing is, nothing's on top of me. You know, I've got control and, and I can say no to that. And, I, and yet you, you, you may not really be able to. What do you need to do to curb access on your phone, your computer, your television to what you don't, need to, you don't need to dwell on? It's there. You just don't need to dwell on it. How much news do you need? How much Facebook, Twitter, Instagram do you need every day? I realize we live on it, especially the younger you are. It, it's your way to relate. I get it. This is not uh, pulpit condemnation for having Instagram accounts and Twitter and Facebook. I don't have Facebook, I have Twitter. But I try to limit my, my time on it. And the reason is because it is not good for me to be on it a lot. It just isn't. The, the more I'm on it, the more provision for my flesh is made. My angry flesh, my lustful flesh, my prideful flesh, whatever it is. Who are you talking to about whatever tempts you? Who keeps you honest? Includes who, who have you given permission to call baloney on you when you're trying to justify what isn't good for you or somebody else? And they say, eh, you know, I think, you're, I think you're giving provision to flesh there. You need to stop that. And then you say, well, help me. Help me. What happens when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for deceiving ourselves or sabotaging ourselves or using others for the sin that comes so easily to us, whatever it is, even if the state permits it, and the state may, governing authorities won't take our life or liberty for getting drunk in our home on a Friday night. They won't take our life or liberty for having an affair. They won't take our life or liberty for being quarrelsome or vain on social media. Even if the state permits us a certain measure of self-destruction or indulgence in whatever we want for ourselves, to put on the Lord Jesus is to submit ourselves to his covering again and again and again. He doesn't get tired of us. Obedience to him does require submission to him. But if we're going to curb access to something, it is so that we open ourselves up to something else. It's never just a shutdown, lockdown, don't go there again. It's, I want to go somewhere else, not there. I've been there too many times. It's too easy to go there. So how am I going to curb my access, not just to shut it down, but in order to get to where he is, to get more of him? How is my speech going to be different 12 months from now? How is, 
How's the way I use my money going to be different 12 months from now? How's my just mental framework, what I think about, what I dwell on, uh, how's my sexual ethic going to get more healthy in, in 12 months from now? I know I've made progress. As we submit to him, we see his light invading the darkness and the deceptions all around us. And sometimes the light just is a little pin hole, and, and that's all you need. Sometimes it's overwhelming. But we come to appreciate the light. We come to like the light. We come to want the light. I love the proverb, Proverbs 4, 18. I've prayed Proverbs 4 chapter for my kids many years. And one of the verses there is, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until full day. And you know, you did see that we have mention of a day here in this passage. The hour has come, verse 11. You know the time, the hour has come. Wake from sleep. Salvation is near to us now. When we first believe, what's he talking about? He's talking about the return of the Lord. The coming of the greatest government that's ever been. Total and complete justice. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. What is that day? The day when in this governing context, there is a day coming. God has appointed it. When Jesus' total victory over everything that opposes him is displayed in such a way that all see and all know that those of us who have spent our lives responding to Jesus and his grace, trying to walk in the daytime, we've not wasted our lives. Quite the contrary. We've invested in the only one who can give us a return. We've lost nothing in submitting ourselves to his rule. And now we possess everything in the light of that glorious day when the Lord Jesus comes to claim what is rightly his, this created order, all of it. Y'all hang on. That's coming. And if that's my last word ever to you, if I don't return from vacation two weeks from now because I die on a mountain like Moses and they bury my body where you can't get to it, I think that's a fitting good last word to you. But hopefully I'll see you on July 14th. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. We're going to sing a great song and then we're going to be dismissed. Father, thank you for your love for us, your care for us. Thank you for covering us with the Lord Jesus and commanding us to do the same, to avail ourselves of the resources that you give, to not roll over in our guilt, our shame, or our laziness and apathy and say, well, Lord, free us from that in order to show us that you have bound us to yourself, in order that we could know real freedom. We live among a faux freedom. This idea that if we can get everything we want, we'll be happy is such a lie. It smells like smoke. It's from the pit of hell. And Lord, you've shown us by the light of your gospel the better way. It's not the easier way. Keep us from thinking it's easy. But also, Lord, keep us from getting discouraged. That we remember the words of the apostle, in your battle against sin, you've not come to the point of shedding your blood. But one did for us. And he covers us. Thank you for no condemnation. Thank you for no provision. We look to you for both. 
because you first loved us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.